just uh, want to just welcome you and, and say thanks for being here. It's, uh, it's so good to see um, so many of you and to know that um, we're in this together, that uh, there are people who really do believe that the Bible does actually share and show the way that God is and the way that we ought to live. And I'm really blessed uh, that you're here. So just thank you for being here. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that we're in a series, of fresh look at the old book. We're uh, taking a look, um, it, I guess it's just Genesis. It might be more than Genesis, but so far it's been Genesis. Uh, places in the Old Testament. Old Testament is famous enough that even though we're in kind of and moving into an increasingly post-Christian culture, uh, there's still like kind of an air of some of the old biblical stuff that's around. You know, like if you're this used to be kind of a Christian country, and so people sort of remember uh, something like Noah, for example, and the flood, and Adam and Eve, and things like that. Um, and so if you're if you're if that's you, uh, I hope that you'll find out something you never even had any idea about the Old Testament, about the, about the way that God uh, has worked in, in the world. And if you have been, uh, you're, a, you're a religious person, you've been in church for a long time, I, my hope is that this will be a fresh look, like a whole new angle on different things that you thought you knew the story, but it turns out there's way more that God had to teach. Um, and so that's kind of my, uh, my desire. Today, uh, that's William Blake's um, uh, art, artistic rendering of the of Jacob's ladder, the stairway to heaven, which we'll talk about today. If you're a fan of Led Zeppelin, um, that's weird. Uh, there, it's really kind of boring music. Once you, anyway, they have a song called "Stairway to Heaven," presumably inspired uh, by this text and probably some very powerful psychotropic drugs. And so uh, we're gonna, so just be aware of that. While we're doing it, though, I, I, one of the things I think is going on in this text is it's, it's kind of answering or it's giving us a place to go when we have a question um, in our lives. And this is something that applies to just about everybody here in one way or another. And that is, what do I do when I've been faithless? What do I do when I've been faithless? Uh, faithless can mean several different things, right? If faithless could mean I've never had faith. I don't have faith. I am faithless. Uh, religion's never been a part of my life. Um, and I'm beginning to think maybe that was a bad idea. And so I'm here, I'm interested, and I've been faithless. What do I do next? What, how do I, where do I go from here? Being faithless may be, say, that you're a person who um, has been sort of a, a part of the church your entire life, maybe even the kind of person that you believe God at some point has given you kind of a mission, or you've seen that God's up to certain things, and you want to be a part of that. And you were a part of that. You were fired up, you were passionate. And at a certain point, for whatever reason, kind of the fire went out. And you just kind of gave up to some extent. And you've been in that way faithless. You were given a task, you were faithless in that task. Another possibility might be that uh, you were a person who grew up in church, but at some point you were like, this is nonsense, I believe in science, and that's incompatible with, with faith, and so you walked away, and you've become faithless in some respects because of whatever different circumstances in your life or whatever's happened and so you've moved to a place where you're like uh yeah I've kind of lost that faith and maybe it's something I want to regain but I'm not sure it may surprise you but I believe that that the, those questions are answered in this text so I'd like uh, to read it with you this is my translation from the Hebrew I, I try to walk this balancing act where I try to keep some of the idiosyncrasies and the weirdness of the Hebrew, but also make it really easy to understand. So we'll see if I've succeeded in that. This is Genesis 28, 10 to 15. We're talking about Jacob for the first time, uh, the grandson of Abraham. 
Jacob left Beersheba and went to her, towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. Then he had a dream. Look! A ramp was set up on the ground that's top reaching the heavens. And there, God's angels were going up and down on it. And there, Yahweh was standing next to him. He, Yahweh, said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I will give you the ground you're lying on to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be like the earth's dust. You will spread out to the north and the south, the east and the west. Every family on the earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. Listen, I'm with you, Jacob. I will guard you, Jacob, wherever you go. And I will bring you, Jacob, back to this land because I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. I love this text. There's so much cool stuff happening. I mean, the first thing is like that, that, that dream. So <laughs> Jacob, if you don't know Jacob or you're not familiar with him, he was uh, kind of a weak man. He was not an outdoors man. He was not the sort of man who uh, lifted weights and competed in competitions. He was not good at hunting. He was a lot like me. And so for whatever reason, he's, and we'll talk about it, he's out um, in the wilderness and he's like, He's got nothing with him. He, he came woefully underprepared. And so he's like, oh, I guess I'd better sleep. He's like, oh, I didn't bring a pillow. And so he <laughs> finds a rock, presumably like a flat one. He's like, that might work. If you're looking for a good way to have weird dreams, you might think about using a rock as a pillow. And then so he does have a dream. Um, We've actually done quite a bit of research on, on dreams, um, and, and it's interesting how little we really know. I think I have, like, a picture of somebody dreaming here. Um, you know, she's, like, out-of-body experience or whatever. Uh, the, the scientists, the neuroscientists, neurobiologists right now, they're, they've got all these different theories about what dreams do. Um, one of the interesting ones is that uh, dreams actually um, kind of repair or kind of uh, help your, your neurons get right back where they ought to be. Um, we do know that if people don't dream, if they, there's a disorder where you don't have any REM sleep, we know that people who have this very quickly degenerate, and there's a high correlation between like Alzheimer's and dementia and having a REM disorder. So, so, so somehow, dreams are highly cor- correlated with keeping us sane, keeping us, keeping us focused and, and able to deal with the world. I know personally that when I'm, uh, one of the things that's interesting is when I'm uh, having like a major uh, long-term anxiety, like when I, when I go crazy, um, in the past, I've noticed that one of the first things that happens, I stop dreaming. And then when I'm coming out of like my, you know, period of anxiety, depression, whatever, I start to dream again. And it's this great feeling. I love the feeling of waking up right after a dream. It's like uh, my, my brain's been set back in place in some weird way. Most people think that uh, one of the things that, that's going on in dreams is that, is that your, your mind is sort of creating, sort of throwing up into the air all the different things that you're worried about, um, either consciously or subconsciously, stuff that you're focused on and thinking a lot about, even if you're not aware of it. And, you're, and, and those things start to get thrown up in your brain and then like the, all the neurons start firing around and like a big story happens. And somehow through that story, things like creativity happen, sometimes solutions to problems come up. Uh, Paul McCartney says that he, um, he wrote yesterday in a dream. Like he woke up and the song was completely written. All he did was just play it. 
So there's an element of, of creativity, um, something that you're focused on, worried about, uh, or you're troubled. And, and interesting that all of this research basically kind of confirms what the Bible has always assumed. And that is, um, the first thing in your notes, uh, the Bible assumes that God use, can use dreams to communicate with us. Especially when we're troubled, when there's something that's going on in our lives and we're not quite sure how to deal with it. Sometimes dreams can be a part of that, and sometimes God manipulates those dreams and helps us work through things. And maybe you've experienced that. I don't want to say that God, you know, is bringing every dream that you have. Like, you know, if you have a dream where, like, you're a cheeseburger and someone's eating you, you have a weight problem, and that's okay, but that, that, that's what's going on there. It's not God speaking to you, like... At least that's my experience. So back to the text. Uh, so God's got this dream. And then look at the cool dream. Uh, you notice I've, I've, look, there, there. Um, the, the, most of the texts of the Old Testament were passed down, um, story, like orally for generations. So like Jacob told, you know, at some point his kids this story. And then his kids told their kids and their kids. And at a certain point, like a good storyteller, like you can imagine around the campfires, like, look, this, and there, and there. And so everyone's engaged. And, and what is, what is Jacob experiencing in this dream? A ramp. A ramp. Um, typically in the ancient world, you didn't use, uh, steps for really long, um, long ladders because uh, you had to, in, while you're constructing them, you had to roll carts up, and it's really hard to take, um, they didn't have scaffolding or, you know, cranes or whatever. So when you're, when you have, like, really long uh, stairways, they're typically ramps, and that's the word here, so that you might have an idea, sort of what William Blake had, where there's, like, this ramp going sort of all the way up, and there in the ramp, God's angels are going up and down. This is a pretty trippy idea. We tend to think of angels as like, you know, winged people uh, with harps. Really, that's not the case in the Old Testament, really the Bible all throughout. Uh, if you think of angels, angels are really more like God's, um, and this is in your note sheets, God's aides, uh, his, um, his uh, aides, what else? Oh, um, lieutenants, right? Like God's got, God's, God's looking out over the world and he's seeing things and, and he's like the king. He's in charge and he's like, you, go take care of that. And the angel goes down and takes care of that. And he's like, oh, you, I need to send a message to so-and-so. You go take care of that. And this is all invisible to us. This is all happening behind the scenes as it work. Divine forces at work behind the scenes. But this is what's going on. This is the real reality behind the reality we see. And what Jacob is experiencing is he's like, he's found the place, sort of the place where, um, where the, where the angels come down and go up. So they, presumably he's imagining in his dream, like, this is a special spot. Maybe there's many, but this is at least one where the angels come down and they disperse on the earth to go do God's bidding. And then they come back and they report to God what's happened. That's kind of the vision that he's, hap- that he's having. You might wonder, why is this important? Well, it's a signal to Jacob uh, that wherever he's going on in his life, God hasn't stopped doing stuff. God's still operating. God's working. God's, God's got a whole lot of, you know, irons in the fire, as it were. And whatever Jacob is and whoever he's with and whatever he's doing, he's aware of like one or two of them. But this dream indicates to him that there's a whole lot more going on. There's this massive experience where God's, uh, God's kingdom is being moved and, and, and operated all unbeknownst to him. Go back to the text. It's just a great moment. So he's like, look, there's the ramp, and look, there's the angels, and poof, uh, there's, there's God right next to him. Do you notice this in your dreams? Like sometimes uh, there'll be a person, and after the dream, you look at it, and you're like, that's not how that person looked, or is supposed to look. But I knew it was that person in the dream. 
Has that ever happened to you? Like, my, this happens to my dad a lot when he tells me about his dreams. He'll be like, you know, Tom, you had the body of a robot, but I knew it was you. And so, like, all the stuff I was robot Tom was doing, he was still certain that it was me. Like, it's weird that your brain can do that in, the, in dreams. Something similar is happening here. Um, when, when God says, I am Yahweh, like, to Jacob in the dream, he's not, like, giving Jacob's new information. Uh, Jacob knows. He's, he's in a dream. It's a dream state. So why does he say it? Let's just imagine that uh, you have been naughty and the authorities have put you in prison. You're sitting there in prison. You're like, man, I wish I could get out. And lo and behold, Donald Trump walks into the prison to your, right in front of your cell and he's like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, oh my gosh, President Trump. Didn't expect to see you here. He's like, yeah, tough. You did some bad stuff. Since you're in jail, what would you, you want to do? If you got out, you'd be like, well, wow. First, I'd want to see my family because I miss them. Then um, I've got all these projects, these things that I hoped I'd been able to be able to complete, but I can't. It's a pipe dream, Mr. President. It'll never happen. And then Donald Trump looks at you and he goes, I am Donald Trump, the President of the United States. What Trump has just done is he said, Hey, it's me. Not just a reality TV star. Also in charge of the most powerful country in the world. Uh, you think this is impossible. Do, do you have any idea? Who I, I'm the president of the United States. If I say you go home and meet your family, that's what happens. I'll tweet it out. I'll tweet. This person is pardoned and you're done. Finished. It's me. DJT. The idea is he's not, he's not like letting you in on a secret. Hey, it's Donald Trump. I'm the president of the United States. He's like, guess what? When you're talking to Donald Trump, president of the United States, all the power that comes with my office is right here, right now. This is exactly what Yahweh is saying in the dream. He's like, he's like, hey, Jacob, I'm Yahweh, the God of Abraham. That's uh, technically your grandfather. The God of Isaac, your father. And I'm going to give the ground you're lying on right now to your descendants. They're going to be like the dust of the earth, he says. This may even be an indication like, like that they're just going to go everywhere. And so at a certain point, no matter what land you travel to, there will always be a community of people who identify as Jewish. Wow, that actually happened. Interesting. You'll spread out north, south, east, west. Everyone's going to be blessed because of you. Bottom line, Jacob, I'm with you. I'm going to guard and protect you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And it's me, the president of the universe. What I say goes. If you've been with me so far, you might have a question. A question might be bubbling up. If this is the content of Jacob's dream, right? And God's using Jacob's dream to communicate to him. And God does this, especially when we have problems. Especially when there's something bothering us. When there's something that's not quite right. Especially if we've been focused on some certain things going on in our lives. And, 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 and that's the content of his dream. He needs to hear this. What is going on? What's Jacob's problem? What's the issue here? Why does he dream a dream like this? And not, I'm a cheeseburger and these people are eating me. The answer is at the beginning of the text. 
Jacob left Beersheba or Beersheba. It says he left, but really it should say he ran. He escaped. He fled. What I haven't told you, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't, Jacob is not just a wimp. He's also a scumbag. We've got some artist's rendering, classical artist's renderings of Jacob being a scumbag. When he's a, when he's a boy, he, uh, he's younger than his brother Esau, and he, uh, he tricks Esau into giving him uh, the, the first son's status, his birthright. His, his older brother Esau is like, he's like a tough, rub, tough and rumble, cool guy. He likes to hunt. He's, he's a man's man. Uh, but he's not too bright, and Jacob takes advantage of it. Says, sucker. Later on, when they're older, he doesn't just swindle his brother. He also swindles his father, Isaac. He, he tricks his dad into giving him all the inheritance. So that he's basically left his brother destitute. In the, in the chapter before this, Esau, his brother, is so fed up with Jacob's nonsense that he says, as soon as my dad dies, I'm going to murder my brother. I just don't want my dad to be alive to see it because it would you know, make him sad. But this kid has it coming. He's done... He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a deceiver. He's, he's a scumbag. He's taken everything from me. And Jacob finds out, and he takes off. The reason that he doesn't have a pillow to lay his head on, the reason why he's all by himself and has nothing but the cloak on his back, if that, is because he's on the run for his life, because, and he deserves to be. And so he's sitting there on the ground, and what really is going on in Jacob, Jacob assumes, he has every right to believe, every reason, this is the next thing you're notice, he has every reason to believe that God's given up on him. Because everyone else has. His whole family has. And rightly so. He doesn't deserve anything except what he has, and he knows it. He's sitting there, and the first half of his life has been an utter and complete disaster. He has failed in every way that you can fail. And so he's on the run, his Family wants to kill him, except for his mother. Different story. And he's, and he's, there's no, he just takes off. He's going to Haran. Interesting about that. This is, this is pretty neat. Um, so he's going to Haran. Uh, he's, he's almost there. He doesn't know where he is, right? It says, Jacob left Beersheba towards Haran. If you're following the story, you might, you might have remembered where Haran is. Haran is the place where Abraham was living, his grandfather, when God first gave a promise to him and said, I want you to go out. I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give you descendants. When his grandfather received the covenant, the promise from God, he was living in Haran. Notice uh, the repetition of that Hebrew. There is a certain place, a particular place, a place, a place, a place. The Bible is subtly suggesting that where Jacob fell down to go to sleep is the land that his father or his grandfather had, had been occupying when he was sent into Canaan, when he was given the promise and sent into travel. There's this, uh, he, he's been running, he doesn't know where he is, he's exhausted. But where he's landed, ended up, is where Abraham, his grandfather, was when God first entered the lives of the Hebrew people and said, I'm going to bless you. Get out of here. Through this dream, Jacob realizes something. 
God speaks to him and communicates something to him. Jacob, there's no reason for me to care about you. Your family's right to want to see you dead. But even though you're faithless, I remain faithful. It's the next thing in your note, cheese. God has led Jacob to the place where he first made a promise to Abraham in order to reaffirm it. It's like, Jacob, just because you've been a scumbag for the first half of your life doesn't mean that I'm quitting. It doesn't mean that my promises are void. It doesn't mean that, Jacob, you're useless. I agree with that. But here's an opportunity. Take a moment and recognize I'm still me. Just because you're a bad guy doesn't make me any less the president of the universe. We have the, uh, so the next slide, is it the, the blank one? Um, yeah, okay, so by nature, I am not a fan of the sports balls. Uh, the, the football and the basketball and the hockey and whatever various sports, not, not something I'm naturally disposed to. However, I found at a very young age that in order to relate to most normal people, you have to be able to talk about sports. And so uh, for a long time, I've, um, I've, I've had on my phone um, and before that, on my web browser, I had ESPN.com and more recently BleacherReport.com as, as bookmarks. And I checked them daily to sort of kind of keep, you know, what's going on. And what I found is that as soon as you start to care about uh, various sports balls, you start to, like, you start to really get passionate about it. And it was the weirdest thing when I woke up one day and I was like, it was this summer, and I, and I was actually, like, really troubled in my spirit um, because the following thing had happened. For those of you who don't know, that's the king, LeBron James. He now plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I grew up a Lakers fan by default because my next-door neighbors, the Eichlers, were Lakers fans. And so I uh, was a Lakers fan. I watched him when Kobe and Shaq won championships. Um, definitely a fair-weather fan. Don't pay attention until they're winning. Um, I admit that. But there's something... LeBron James is the worst human being in, in the NBA. I hate him so much. He's my least favorite um, athlete. Uh, this guy, when he was 18, he said, I'm the king. He dubbed himself the king of basketball. Now, maybe he was right, but it doesn't matter. You don't get to say you're the king of anything when you're 18. And if you do, that shows that you have some very serious ego problems. Okay, so that's the, obviously everyone agrees he's the worst um, athlete in professional sports. But who's the second worst? Does anybody know? Tiger, no, Tiger was awesome, man. He's been redeemed, bro. Remember? Like, no, it's not even a basketball. This is so, you guys, nobody? Let's, let's see the picture. Uh-huh. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots. I love this picture because when Tom Brady tries to smile, it just doesn't work. He's got a broken smile. He's, uh, he's, um, Another just horrible person and uh, very, very good at what he does. Uh, and, and it's so frustrating to just watch him do anything, uh, but especially win games. Uh, and he's really, really good at it. I, I remember very uh, clearly two years ago, the, um, 
Yeah. Before that, but not, not yet. Uh, so Tom Brady, again, just another insufferably smug, contemptuous jerk who just happens to be amazing. Um, all of his career, I've hated him, and it's given me joy to root against him because I don't really love any football teams, but just seeing him lose makes me happy. That's about the extent of my football interest. Um, and then I watched one football game a year. I saw the Super Bowl two years ago, and it was absolutely unreal. I have never seen anything like this. Um, it, it was so amazing that I found myself caring about the game, which it never happens. I'm usually just totally detached. Um, Tom Brady and the Patriots were playing the Falcons, and like, I think it was like three minutes left or something in the third quarter. They were down by 25 points, which in football is the equivalent of, of at least four scores, three of which have to be touchdowns, which is really hard to do in football. And this insufferable jerk <laughs> orchestrates pretty much by himself the most amazing comeback I have ever seen. It was unbelievable. He, so he leads his team to a tie and then proceeds to win the game in overtime. It's the largest spread of, point, of comeback points in Super Bowl history. And of course, the guy who had to do it was the worst human being on earth. I mean, why couldn't it have been Joe Montana? That guy seems nice. I like him. Maybe Peyton Manning. I imagine when they were down so far in the, uh, in the, at halftime, I imagine their coach, another person I can't stand, Bill Belichick, uh, imagine he was just laying into him. I don't know what happened there. Um, but there was this transformation where the first half they had played the worst football you'd ever seen from the New England Patriots. They were awful. And they were getting torn up on both sides of the field. Something happens and, and whatever terribleness they had just disappeared at the end of the third quarter, and they just became the most invincible, incredible team. And what's even worse, what really makes this awful, is that Tom Brady, after this game, I swear, something happened to this guy, where he's been, oh, you can show the comeback, uh, yeah, win for the ages, it sure was. The, the other thing, he's in Boston. I hate people in Boston. No, it's not true. That was a bit much. Went over the line there. I've been to Boston a few times. They're a little rough around the edges. That's all I mean. They're sweet human beings and hope they come to our church. Um, so after, after he wins this incredible game, something goes on where suddenly over the last two years, Tom Brady, who his entire 15 to 20 year career has been the worst, has suddenly been like kind of open about his family life. He started, he even did like this documentary where he starts talking about how much he loves the game and loves his family and, and just like what he used to be like this terrible robot that was egotistical and he's started to become this really like, I'm almost like, wow, he's almost a role model at this point. Like he's really somebody that you, he's really trying to be a decent human being. And I, not only is he amazing on the field, he's, now he's being amazing off the field. I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, wow, what a turnaround. Not only the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, but the, but the greatest comeback in like a person's not being an awful person history. Tom Brady's a lot like Jacob. Tom Brady was a scumbag. And for some reason at halftime, in the middle of that Super Bowl, something clicked in his mind. Something changed. Where he realized that was the past. The future is now. The question is, how do we operate from here?
I think, um, I think that Jacob, you know, we, we caught him right here at the lowest point of his story. And at the lowest point of his story, God jumps in and says, it doesn't matter how terrible you've been. I'm still me. That's, um, I think we have that in the note sheets. Or no, you don't. Oh, okay. Um, I, I've been watching Jacob, and you've been doing everything on your own. You've been doing it your own way. And you've been failing, and you are now wanted for murder, or no, you're wanted to be murdered, and I'm still here. It's time, Jacob, for a comeback. It's time for you to turn it around. You've been faithless. I've been faithful. What's next? I think um, for every person or most of the people here, I think that the, God's doing basically the same thing in our lives now, today, here. You know, the whole point is God's like, I don't change. I'm still me. I still do what I do, whether you're a part of it or not. Like, I'm going to drag you kicking and streaming, but if you wanted to, Jacob, you could sort of participate with me. We could get on the same page here, and we could do it together. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing me, and how about you do me too? And the same sort of thing is, is operating right now here for everybody here. If you are a person, and you, uh, you're coming here, and you are, I mean, you're racked with guilt. You've wrecked, you've wrecked things. You have made a lot of mistakes. You have broken hearts. You have um, hurt your family. You have failed at uh, your job or whatever. You're coming and you're like, I've been faithless. I don't have religion. I don't have hope. I don't have faith. What do I do? Well, the good news for you is that God, watching Jacob, recognized that all human beings are going to be like Jacob. He recognized that there's just going to be Jacob after Jacob after Jacob after Jacob. And finally he said, in order to fix human beings, I am going to give my son. I am going to send him into the world. I am going to let him be the atoning sacrifice. Uh, I am going to let him make things right between me and human beings. I am going to wipe your slate clean. I am going to forgive you for your, from your sins. And I am going to begin a transformation program so that your second half is going to be a big comeback. And not what your first half has been. If you are here today and you are racked with guilt, you have done wrong, you have broken things, and you have messed things up, I am saying to you, you have the opportunity today to believe in Jesus, to be forgiven, and to begin a new program. And on this program, you're not going to be faithless, you're going to be faithful, and you're going to be participating with what God's up to, doing what he wants to do, and you're going to see, even if you're not the success that you want to be in life, you're going to see that you get to be a part of what he's doing for eternity. Some people here um, are faithless because um, we're just, we've been caught up by the world. Um, at some point in life, you knew what God had called you to do. You were going to go do X. You'd believed in him. You trusted him. You were on fire for him. You were passionate for him. You loved what he was about. And yet, somehow, in, in between then and now, uh, something's gone wrong. You've gotten so busy, so caught up with, you know, raising your kids, or trying to make your business work, or, you know, whatever it is, uh, make sure that you're, you know, get to do all the fun things, party as much as you like, whatever it is, you've gotten caught up to the point where you're no longer 
on that track. You're, 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 you're trapped and you're, you've become faithless. God gave you a task and you have not been faithful in fulfilling it. Good news, God's going to complete it all anyway. He's going to be faithful even if you've been faithless. And guess what? He's ready to give you a comeback. Repent. Say, God, I, I got off track. I got caught up in the cares and concerns around me. I had to make that dollar. I had to fulfill that desire. And as a result, I'm, not, I've, I've, I'm off track. God says, you repent. I'm faithful. I don't quit. I'll welcome you right back. We'll pick up right where we left off, and we will do eternal things together. Last but not least, there are some here who, um, at some point in life, you've, uh, you, know, you started out, and you believed, and you were, um, you were full of faith. And, and somewhere along the way, you've stopped being uh, believing in something. Maybe you've stopped believing uh, in God. Maybe you've stopped believing in um, the power of God to do amazing things. Maybe you've stopped believing that there is a good hope for you in this life and the next. Maybe you've stopped believing um, that God can really do anything to fix and change you. It, at a certain point, maybe you're, you're, you come to church each week, but you're kind of just checking off the box because you think it's good for your kids. But deep down, you're like, I've lost that faith. You know, it's time to ask God for a sign. It's time to say, God, if you're out there and you want to reveal yourself, then do it. I want to wrestle with you, God. I want to get back into it. I want to believe again because I know that that's healthy. I know that I've been made to believe in you. I know that there's something missing now that you're gone, now that your power seems to be gone. And I'm faithless. And if you say that you're faithful, then God, I'm throwing it out there. Be faithful. Show me that you're real. Show me that you can do something. I'm not going to put any limits on what that looks like. But God, find a way to shake me up and make me believe again. Put it on him. Jacob, you know, he, he took off. He wasn't sitting around being like... He just put his head down on the rock. And his brain went crazy. And God used that to confirm that it was time for a comeback. And maybe you're in that place where it's time for a comeback for you too. I'm going to pray um, for everyone here that we experience together, um, not just individually, but corporately as, as a church, a comeback. That whatever we've you know, failed to do in the past, whatever passions we've lost, whatever, whatever ways that we've gone astray, that we're going to say, God, We want your comeback. We trust that you can do it. We know that you're faithful even though we've been faithless and we're counting on that promise right now to see a better future, a better hope for every person here. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, for those uh, here who come guilty with um, stained hands, I pray God forgive us God, we need a new start. We need to be in relationship to you. We have been faithless. We have been walking our own way. We have been doing our own thing. And and God, it's not working. We want to trust in your son, Jesus, for forgiveness, for eternal life, for a new start, for the reception of your spirit so that we can start living a different way, so that we can start being a part of what you're about and not what we're about. God, please forgive us and give us life in Jesus' name today. 
God, for those who um, are, who've, who've lost their love and they've lost uh, the, the, the track and they're no longer, um, we're no longer doing what you've called us to do, God, I pray, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for walking away. Forgive us for getting too busy, too caught up, too um, lost in this world. Forgive us for that, Lord, and, and send your spirit to renew a sense of faithfulness and desire in us so that we can be a part of what you're doing, so that we can have the joy of life again. For those, God, who are having a hard time believing in something, in you, in your power, God, I pray, Lord, show us your power. Show us that you're real. Show me that you are good, that you are God. Open my eyes to look for the ways that you're working in the world so I can begin to see that, yes, your, your angels are going up and down and they are working behind the scenes. And even though it's hard to see sometimes, God, open my eyes so I can see and believe again. God, we bless you. We love you. You didn't give up on Jacob, God. You will not give up on us. And we are ready for your comeback. In Jesus' name, amen.